All right. Welcome to Brew Coven. We are hosting our sour evening here. Um, we've got the black cat in the house. We've got the Boy Scout. This is Dark Pony. Um, introducing a special guest. We have RJ with us today, um, bringing in one of his first beers and collaborations with Three Magnets. Um, RJ is co-founder of Northish. Um, we've also got East Coast Mike here bringing us some awesome funk as well. So we've got a whole lineup of beers for you guys to uh, listen in on and, and hear about our two cents, if you will. Um, but with before diving into any of these beers, we're going to go ahead and introduce RJ, and uh, he's here with us right now. RJ, you want to say hi to our listeners? Well, hello, everybody. Um, I am excited to be here. I'm excited to dive into some sours. And I'm especially excited to share one of the first collaborations that my brewery ever did uh, before we were even licensed as a brewery. So, yeah. Nice. Good side note there. Man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what's the name of this beer? Are so, the beer that we're drinking right now is called Because Ghosts. It was inspired, actually, by... Uh, maybe three or four different produ production beers that I encountered, like working at a bottle shop. Um, the, the first and probably the most influential beer that I encountered was, uh, a Braxis by, um, Frygeist. Frygeist yeah. Yeah. So, so Frygeist, uh, created, uh, they recreated an old school smoked Berliner Weiss. The style is called a Lichtenineweiss. And it was something that I found really incredibly interesting, the, the sort of like cross-section between something that's sour and something that's smoky, and trying to figure out how those two flavors interact with each other was something that I found incredibly interesting. So what I did is try to collect as many um, like production examples right. of something that's both smoky and sour. Luckily, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, we have uh, a lot of access to what Stillwater is doing and what Brian Stumpke is doing. So he actually does two different smoked sour versions. There's uh, Fear of Ghosts, which was his sour farmhouse ale. And then he did a really interesting one, which was a music and beer collaboration, which was called The Devil is People. Which was more of a lictonine device. It was more of that kind of like straight up kettle sour with smoke. And so I had two of those and then And that's like an old world style that is just now kind of been brought up to service on. You know, to PCP tell you the P and like a lot of people are actually looking at it now as like a forward thinking kind of farmhouse or German style farmhouse yeah, style beer. Yeah, I mean it's like cool. obviously from the name it's gonna be like German inspired, but the thing that really kind of like caught my interest was uh, all of these people trying to find their own take on it, something that is sour. And what does sour mean? Is it a kettle sour? Is it like a, a long ferment lacto sour? What, where does that come from? So I brought all these commercial examples to one of my favorite uh, breweries, which was Three Magnets. And so we sat down. I sat down with the owner and the sales guy and the brewer, and I just opened up these commercial examples. And so I was like, this is a really interesting cross-section of flavors right. and everybody agreed with me they're like yeah this is really interesting and then I gave him my pitch I was like I want to do a beer like this and so uh Nate who's the owner of Three Magnets paired me up with their head brewer Jeff Stokes and Jeff and I sat down and started talking about okay what is it gonna look like are we gonna do a lacto sour are we gonna do 
um, like a mixed culture. Like, you know, we, we started really formulating what this beer is going to come out to. And so ultimately what we came up with was something that was not going to be a kettle sour or a long sour or anything like that. What we said was the acidity should come from acidulated malts and no more. Right. We didn't want it to be too sour. Also, with the smokiness, we used a very small amount of smoke malts, and we didn't want it to be too smoky. You know, what I wanted people to do is I wanted people who didn't like sours and people who didn't like smoke beers to come across this beer and go like, well, this is, this is pretty fucking good. Yeah. And uh, is it mixed culture? It far? is. Yeah. yeah, so it's actually three cultures. There's their house, farmhouse strain, um, DuPont, like because mm-hmm. it's DuPont. <laughs> Yeah, and, <laughs> and then and then it's nice and dry. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. We fun. yeah, both uh, the three magnets guys and I have a great reverence for saison Dupont. Um, and then we used a uh, I want to say it's a Brett Brooks strain, but I haven't looked at the brew sheet for a while because this was brewed Tastes back. Tastes like a Brett Brooks. Yeah, it was brewed back in our uh, September of 2016. Yeah, so this is a year old, almost. Are coming up on it's getting there it was yeah. bottled in november oh okay gotcha so it still has a like a little bit of time the brett can still do some stuff but at this point it's kind of done developing yeah i mean i remember having this beer fresh and you could it was really nice to see sort of like the aroma there was like slight smoke but it did it, sm- it smelled like a farmhouse and it was effervescent and it was like tart and the acidulated came through really well and this, it, you can just tell that sort of like that slight smoke just like sort of falls out, but the, the, the acidity sort of comes out a little more. Um, so that's interesting to see over time, because I do think it is a cool like intersection for people to take. Because, I mean, that one road will lead to rock beer, another will start leading it to like Berliner Weiss, Waldale, Farmhouse Ales, all of that. Yeah. And it, as it warms up, the, the definitely peaty character of it does come through a little bit, but it's nothing abrasive, nothing. It's, it's a great beer, man. It's smashable, too. I mean, might I add. I could drink the shit out of this. Beer. And at seven percent, it doesn't drink like a seven percent, right. you know. And in, in the smoke character, we started talking about how we wanted to introduce that smoke character. And traditionally, like that, uh, Alkshalanka beers usually will use a um, their smoke malt character comes from uh, like beach a wood. So they yeah, it's beechwood. Beach yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, 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 that's yeah. that's kind of like the common tree that you'd find right. in Germany. Is like beechwood is is a very common smoke beer for that area and mm-hmm. um, but we wanted to use something that was a little bit more of it so this is a oak smoked wheat oh, that we added into it nice. so it so it added a little bit of body it added a little bit of mouthfeel and that character comes through but it's not as meaty as as Bert or mm-hmm. as beach would That's be great so you, you know yeah, like you didn't absolutely. have to over complexify the malt bill or anything you yeah know, absolutely you, know, you got your wheat you got your smoke it's all knocked out there you're not having to add a whole bunch more to the grist that's pretty sweet. Yeah, so it was it was something that just added this sort of, almost a sort of intangible character. Because, like, if you presented this to somebody who is not familiar with the style, they wouldn't necessarily be able to put their finger on the fact that it's smoked. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that is what we were shooting for. And so uh, the, the name of it came up because we had uh, Fear of Ghosts, which was Stillwater's beer. Um, and then there was uh, Woodland Empire, who made a smoke farmhouse that I picked up at, um, uh, I picked up in Portland, that was called Maybe Ghosts? Question mm-hmm. mark. And so this ghost 
uh, themes started coming up. And so when Nate asked me what I wanted to name the beer, and I was like, I want to name it Because Ghosts. Because that was the inspiration behind it. Nice. It's something, like yeah, yeah. I'm still working on, you know, once once my brewery gets up and running and we start doing some more interesting beers, I, I've got a few other variants on the ghost theme that I want to play with, but <laughs> I haven't really come, I haven't come to a decision on what we're going to do with it yet. Cool. Well, very nice. What are you thinking here, Mike? I mean, I don't know the style very well, so it is hard for me to really judge it. But um, I do get a little smokiness out of it, and like um, Cow Boy Scout said, um, I didn't have it beforehand, so it's kind of hard to compare the how acidic it was before and how much smokiness right. got out of it. But it does have a nice yeah. acidity to it, so I'm really enjoying it. Nice. Yeah, we're all we've had it before because we were really excited to have it to begin with. I mean, having known you for a minute, at least since I've been out here coming out on like seven months moving up in the bay and just excited about Northish and everything that's going on you know it was like you know it was one of the first we got to taste and you actually won awards for it right yeah it won silver in the uh, Washington Beer Awards so we were sandwiched in between Engine House number nine they took gold and bronze uh, for mixed uh, mixed fermentation no a, a mixed fermentation Brett beer is what it was entered as so we took silver which I'm super proud and and yeah. humbled to be like sandwiched in between two E9 beers because oh, I'm, absolutely. you know, like I'm sure as your listeners know, like we're uh, really proud of what Shane at e- Engine House Number Nine has been doing. I, I think proud is one way to put it for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Man. Congrats! Thank you for sharing this beer. Oh yeah, of course. I'm glad to do it. Also, something else that maybe is lost in the audio translation of this is that it was very intentional for us to package it in green glass. Yeah, just like a Saison DuPont. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to put the Saison DuPont yeast strain in there, I think it's only appropriate to package it in green glass. It's something that I feel very strongly about in doing certain sort of rustic farmhouse style ales Mm -hmm. is that the green glass adds a certain... um, uh, What was the word that Jeff Stuffings used when he started packaging stuff at Jester King? It was a... It was a... Oh, God damn it. A peripheral flavor. I think is the phrase that he used. And so that was something that I find really, uh, really useful in trying to do a package bottle beer is that sort of like peripheral flavors that get imparted just by packaging because... The green light's going to allow certain light aspects or the green glass is going to allow certain lights or spectrum of the blue light to come through and maybe add a little funkiness to it that we do already like that's in Saison, but for the most part, I think, like, these bottles are just packaged and well-kept for, for years. Yeah. And hold, but you know, I'm, I, I feel very strongly that, like, the inspiration, one of the inspirations for this beer, Saison DuPont, Saison DuPont is not Saison DuPont unless it's packaged in green glass. Yeah. yeah. It's not, it's not the beer it's supposed to be yeah. unless it's packaged that way. Have you ever had that beer on draft? I have. It's different, huh? It's incredibly different. Yeah, you get you get like this really sort of like smooth creaminess that you don't get when you get it in a green glass. Is it the yeah. same as their larger format bottles, like the brown glass ones? So larger format bottles, 750 milliliters, and their smaller format bottles, 11.2 ounce bottles, are both in brown. And it is an excellent beer in brown, but it is not Saison DuPont yeah. unless it's in green glass. 
Well, I think that's cool that you sort of pay homage to it too. Yeah, and so the the um, one of the founder one of one of the people who had initially had influence in Three Magnets was um, was Pat, who now works at Matchless, um, and Pat was one of those really strong. He he brought his opinion to it. He's like he feels that way about it the same way that I do, and so. If you go and look at their gold medal winning Saison, which is shared table, mm-hmm. they just packaged it for the first time, and it's in green glass. <laughs> and, you know, as much as he won't admit it, <laughs> not that I'm putting Pat on blast or anything, but it's a Saison DuPont clone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I recognized the beer as soon as we tapped up a keg mm-hmm. and we poured it for the first time. I was like, I immediately recognize what this is. Gotcha. Well, that'll be cool then to see. What is that coming out soon? Uh, it is on shelves now. Oh, nice. Okay, sweet. Very cool. Yeah, so look for it. It's Matchless 3. Uh, no, uh, Matchless Shared Table. Cool. Okay. We'll definitely and check uh, it out. Matchless straight out of Tumwater, Washington, just yeah. south of Olympia um, for those international listeners or out-of-state listeners. Um, well, thanks, RJ. Fuck yeah, man. I'm awesome glad to share. Uh, we're gonna follow that one up with another farmhouse where we get truly wild and funky here. Um, this is gonna be a great notion uh, beer that Mike had brought in. Uh, Mike, you want to tell us a little bit about what you brought here? Yeah. Um, so I got a crawler of farmhand from Great Notion. It's a four percent farmhouse. Uh, it's a collaboration with Level Beer. Um, Saison lightly dry hopped with Nelson and Halotar Blanc. Um, yes, I've, I didn't actually have this on tap when I was there. I just got a crawler of it and it's pretty light. It is very light. And I will say for being in a crawler for two months, it has held up very well. Like I was expecting. Kind of effervescence dropped a little. It, it has. It's, it's like bubble gum. It's, it's, it's <laughs> not nearly as carbonated, but you know, for being I in there for two rest. months, it's held up really well. The nose comes through really cleanly, like the uh, Hallertau Blanc. I was about to say, Hallertau yeah. Blanc comes out the most prominent. Yeah, they got, there's like a really sort of like uh, straight green melon sort of uh, aromatic that comes through, and you get just a little bit of the uh, like phenols from the yeast strain that they use, but you can tell that they fermented it at a lower temperature, because you're not getting like that straight, you know, bubblegum or banana or anything that comes yeah. through. Like that melon is the... Yeah prevalent yeah, aromatic. I want to add that maybe yeah, like Boy Scout did say bubble gum and he's fond of that, you know, <laughs> that slang. I, but I want to say that it's almost like the coriander that's slightly coming through is playing off of that kind of hoppy profile, at least from what I'm gathering. I mean, it's like I said, I mean, we're looking at a pretty still beer here in my glass, so I'm not getting a whole lot being pushed out of this particular tulip, but I don't know. I, I do. I get the bubblegum concept. I want to say that, or I'm hoping more that it's coming from like that coriander playing off the hops. But yeah, it's a, mine's a still beer. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. It's counts. it's there's there's little to no yeah, head retention. The retention was like just it dissipated almost instantly. <laughs> just goes to show you like the crawlers. Yeah, the crawlers are not the yeah. same as like putting it into a can or yeah. putting it into a bottle. No, I mean if you if you purge it with CO two, which I think they do. Yeah, they do. They do, but I don't know. Interesting, but yeah, good clean beer. I could drink a lot of this. This yeah. is yeah, super crushable. I think that's kind of what they made it for was to crush after a hot summer night. You know, just yeah, absolutely that crush was, it. 
That absolutely was the whole point. Yeah. I like how they call it a farmhand because it says well, yeah, it is a farm worker beer. Yeah, they yeah, yeah they're dedicated to the farm worker. Yeah. So I really like that there are breweries, especially like Great Notion, who are still dedicating some of their fermentation space, especially for as limited as Great Notion is in their total like barrel output, to doing something like this that's not hop forward. That's not, you know, like that's not hate supposed to be hazy, like all yeah. of this stuff, like trying to do something that is interesting, that is somewhat yeast driven, like mm-hmm. at least you get a little bit of yeast and hop balance between yeah. it and something that can be 4% and still something that's very interesting. Yeah, and it shows the versatility, which they got so much hype for, for like the start of this haze craze, but it's nice to see that they can like show and do these other things and execute them well. It's good to show your ability to do other things. It makes you more sustainable. It's good to show that you can create clean beer across the board. And and I think for a lot of these hazy IPA centric breweries, it's kind of hard to um, kind of find yourself relatable amongst the old school brewers and the old like world kind of thinking of brewing and, I mean, I've gone and I've had some pretty good, bright IPAs there that were actually pretty solid. I can't say that I've ever been there and had anything Belgian or French or, I mean, this is the first kind of farmhousey beer I've had from them. But it's, yeah. like I said, well executed. Um, they've left their mark on that style and they clearly have done a pretty good job of it. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> so as we segue, we are... Uh, now throwing it back here, we're coming back to Tacoma. Um, we talked a little bit about Engine House Nine. I feel like every other podcast we do, we showcase some of their beer. Um, <laughs> yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, we've got the Blue Nectar American Wild with black oh, blueberry. No, yeah, blueberries and nectar berries. Cool. Do you guys know what a nectar berry is? We don't. I don't know. This is something... Uh, <laughs> I'm not familiar with it. I was, I was like, hoping somebody have, would be able to enlighten me. I, don't know. I, I just moved out to the Pacific Northwest. There's a lot of berries I didn't know. <laughs> so, so thanks to E9, I learned what a tayberry is because it's a tayberry sour. And I thought it was just a name. And I was like, oh, that's an actual berry. So... Yeah, I'm starting, I'm starting to think that like the general classification of brambleberry... Should just stay that way because they're like so outside are, of a raspberry. Because I don't know, and I'm so, assuming there's listeners out there. What the fuck are brambleberries? Uh, so a brambleberry is classified as something that usually has thorns and is usually something that grows wild. So we're talking raspberries, we're talking All blackberries, we're talking marionberries, yep, exactly. salmonberries, anything that looks like a blackberry or raspberry that are different colors falls under the classification of a brambleberry. Because the bramble is what the, you know, it's just that thorned bush that kind of grows wild. So there's, there's a large classification. I mean, you could probably get into a fight with a, hort- a horticulturalist between the, the difference between a Marionberry and a Blackberry. They're like, so well. you say that there's terroir in these berries? No, I wouldn't say there's that. No I don't want to bring that up. <laughs> you hear that, There's no terroir <laughs> in these berries. Just trying to fire some shots. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. No, what I would say is that, like, these berries, like, the berries that they use all have their own sort of acidity and darkness, but they all run a spectrum. Yeah. 
You know, they, soil plays no real part on exactly how much the flavor profile is going to change. I can't and, really speak to the soil in which they grow because they can grow in anything. You can put right. them in dry clay soil and they'll probably still grow up. Right. I mean, they're really robust and they probably make even better berries than if you had like thick, dark soil. But in this case, I forgot the berries that they were. It's a blueberry and a nectar berry. Nectar. Nectar. nectar berry. Nectar berry. Jesus. Could they name a better berry? <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just nectar. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's there. I mean, it's very the tar- body of like yeah. a creek, for sure, definitely got that acidity there, for sure. Not. It's acidic, but there's some jamminess. And that's I was excited for this one when Boy Scout brought this one on because they're they're nectarberry. I think we did that on one of the earlier podcasts, and that one I was just you know infatuated with. So this one, you know, yeah, it's with a little bit more sweetness with the blueberries. I feel and yeah. makes it more and you jammy. Can smell them more too. I mean, it smells yeah. like I mean when you usually crack an E nine sour, it just has a particular smell where you're like, yeah, this is gonna be like tart and a little bit puckery, and it smells like that. But yeah. you can smell those berries come through. It's got some body, man. Yeah, I think jamminess is a really great picking up on like it. a slight edge of the acid all, Nothing like that's gonna make me lose sleep over it. Um, still drink this beer. It's still seller this beer. Um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting brew, and that's kind of what they're doing over there at Engine House Nine. It's just some stuff that it's pretty unique, pretty different um, in terms of like the fruited sours. I feel like they put one out almost every other week, which is kind of like a unique thing for a brewery of their size and caliber to be doing. Honestly. It's interesting to see what their output is based on the number of barrels that they have. Yeah. Because Which I don't know, maybe you have that. You could speak to the volume of what they're actually sitting. I haven't seen it because they actually have a separate barrel facility that I haven't seen. That's how like in stadium or something in Tacoma. Uh, it's yeah, it's, it's very near the stadium high school. Um, but you know, it, it's always been that kind of like school of thought that if you're going to start something that is barrel driven, if you're going to be creating beers that are all based on barrel aged beers, you're only as good as the number of barrels that you have. Yeah. I mean, like I, I it seems like a really cliche comparison, but to like talk about painting or something like that, like, you know, you you are limited by the like the number of by your palette. Yeah, exactly. exactly. By the, the colors in you your palette. Yeah. And so with. you have if you have more barrels, then you have more colors to paint with. Yeah. And you can blend in. You know, you you the art of blending is a separate animal. I mean, yeah. you can be an amazing brewer and you can be an amazing blender and not be both things. Yeah, yeah exactly. Very very hard to to kind of knock <clears throat> both those out at once. Yeah, you you're going to be extremely limited if you know, if you come onto a brewery or if the brewer themselves go like, well, I'm going to put this beer and this fruit into a barrel and it's going to be ready in 18 months. And then they're going to be like, well, you know, we will ye- yield this many bottles from this barrel. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's really it's naive to assume that. To do well, you know, like barrel beer, you know, like temperature control, barrel, you know, uh, care, everything. Like it's not something... I think sometimes you will see breweries put out barrel beers that was just a messed up brew that they threw into a barrel that they didn't care for, and it turned out funky. When you understand the difference between good barrel care beer and stuff like that, you can tell, like, oh, wow, somebody actually, like, made sure to manage these barrels and do it right. 
as opposed to like, oh, we got to make a, a dollar off this. Oh yeah, and that's I think I've said this a lot, maybe even on the podcast itself. But I, I mean, those are my qualms with with breweries like you know, which I love and respect and really admire a lot of their brewing and and, and a lot of the beers they have put out. But some of those beers, um, of which that come out of Holy Mountain or even like Rare Barrel or or some of these younger breweries that are starting up. Um, one of which will actually taste today. It's like you know, you're you're in a program. A barrel program is something that costs money and time, and not everyone has it, especially when starting a brewery. You want to put out some pro. You you want to start selling beer out the door, you know. Yeah. And like you know, you got to imagine some of these brewers are doing it right. I mean, we got Fair Isle coming onto the scene. Who knows what the beer is going to be like? I haven't had any of it, um, but it'll be interesting to see what kind of age they're going to be having on some of those blended beers. They're obviously going to be blending to be putting out. Um, seeing these urbanized farmhouse breweries popping up left and right is, is kind of unique. But yeah, I think it, to curate and to kind of, like you said, RJ, paint or the artistry of, of blending is, is a really important thing. And once you fall in love with a good blender or a good brewery is doing it great, it's kind of hard to like settle for anything less. Absolutely. I think something that is um, incredibly ambitious especially for like kind of an old guard brewery like New Belgium is they just started their new like Belgian reserve series. And I don't know if you guys seen it on the market yet, but they do a sour Saison. It is a year round sour blended Saison that they're doing. Uh, I can't say whether or not it's uh, Felix that they're blending it with, which is the, which is New Belgium's sour mother sour beer. Mm-hmm. But it is a year-round six-pack, which I assume that in making that brand, they're going to want some sort of like, uh, you know, like they're going to want a a beer that is constant throughout the year. It doesn't matter what batch it is. They're not labeling it with batch numbers. They're not, you know, coming at it with like, okay, this is our quarterly release and each quarter will be different. They're saying this is a sour saison, and so if you buy it now or if you buy it in six months, you are getting the same product. Wow! With if you're doing a blended sour beer, you're that's a, that's like a big it's commitment hard to, to make. Find that, no, that you're gonna have any yeah. sort of real consistency. And and yeah. honestly, I can't think of another brewery in the United States that could claim to be able to make a consistent beer other than New Belgium. Yeah. You know, and especially since since they're, uh, you know, they're uh, tr- like um, they're treating their beers like Rodenbach does, where when it leaves the brewery, it leaves it in the condition in which you were supposed to drink it. Right. You know, they, you they can sit on it if so you yeah. like. So, so no yes. sitting on it, no letting it like do its thing. Just you know, drink it. As for, like day one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like when it leaves the brewery, that's how it's supposed to taste. And I've got respect for that. Even as somebody who sells beers and somebody who's a collector of beers, if you buy a La Folie or if you buy a Transatlantic Creek, it is how it's supposed to taste when it leaves the brewery. Yeah. So you can sit on it if you want, but it's not going to change. Absolutely. Some things will. The oxidation, I mean... If, if, well, yeah. I they, mean, I'm looking at my cellar. It's ridiculous. Here we are potting it right out of it. But it's like, I, I've i done exactly that. Rodenbach. I've done their Grand Cru. I've done, like, Bon Chien, you know, from BFM. That yeah. one does change. That little, one is, but, yeah, that one but is. But then, you know, there's stuff like Monk's Cafe. You know, you have something mm-hmm. like that. That's not going to fucking change. Yeah. 
But the oxidation, like six years down the road, cracking something like that, it's weird. And I don't know, sometimes I do dumb experiments like that. <laughs> and I think it's, and it is like an interesting thing. And it's and it's like, oh, here, dude, this is from, yeah, like the other day when I had like a, a 1996 Bigfoot, it tastes like ass. And yeah. I was like, maybe you shouldn't have saved something that long. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I could, I was still like, hey, dude, I had a 1996 Bigfoot from Sierra Nevada. And it's 2017 right now. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, you know, and, it, and as much as Lauren Salazar would want to maintain the quality of a product as it leaves the brewery, the packaging is still going to change how that beer right. reacts. It's, it's still going to change based on shipment and storage and all of that stuff. So you can try and yeah. control that, but there's it's still, there's some so, of that sellership so still falls into do. the buyer's hands. Yeah. I'm a snob about that kind of stuff too. It's it's ridiculous. It is. It was actually at a at a bottle shop. Somebody poured me a draft of a beer and then bought twelve ounce bottles of a shipment they had gotten. And it was two different things, and they were dated both at the same time. <laughs> and so yeah, it does. It just shows how people and how they store stuff and treat and handle it can really affect how your beer tastes, no matter how well you try to not have anything in it to uh, break it down over yeah. time. Yeah. It's impossible. Yeah, that, the, the pasteurization process of packaged beers is something that a lot of people fight over. And I feel like especially people who are in our position as somebody, people who are collectors and people who love to sell our things and see how they change, like we would love to fall very firmly on one side of the line. But as somebody who is a, somebody who is a blender... Or somebody who or is runs a brewery has yeah somebody who's know, the barrel manager distributors or deals you know yeah exactly it. like it's the like pasteurization how... process of taking something that is like this is how I want it to taste I can taste it out of the blending tank this is how I want all of the customers to taste the beer the pasteurization process is easily defendable right so here we have uh, another beer um, and I think this is a great follow up to the blue nectar from Engine House Nine just because. Something I wanted to know was like, you know, these two beers are very similar in volume of CO2 and something I want to discuss on these particular styles of beer. Um, but we have DeGuard's Marion Demur. Um, and I'll let uh, Black Cat talk a little bit about the style of beer. But yeah, right up kind of in that whole realm on fruited sours as we're still drinking this kind of stuff. Yeah, so as we uh, blogged about it, so we were at DeGuard recently. Uh, Black, uh, Black Cat, Dark Pony, and uh, Boy Scout were all in Tillamook, Oregon, which is where DeGuard's at, and we were able to grab a few of these bottles. So this one is their, um, a farmhouse wild ale aged in oak barrels with Marion berries. And we're going to have Boy Scout look up what a Marion berry is right now, <laughs> because that's another berry I don't know what it, what it is. Um, but I imagine it, I mean, I, I get a lot of like blackberries. It tastes, it, it tastes almost like a sweet blackberry, so I'm, I'm guessing it's in that family, but I could be you know, terribly wrong. But yeah, so it's at 6.2%. The color's beautiful, and we'll discuss that right now. Well, you're right. It is a blackberry. Oh, is, is it yeah, just a blackberry? It's a Marian blackberry. Oh. Well. But yeah, no, it's super jammy. I get what you're saying. And like, it sweetness. smells yeah. like, you know, and, like And the reason I, the reason I guess blackberry is because it's a beer similar that we all got to try not too long ago um, by, by, another, by another Pacific Northwest brewery, um, Holy Mountain. They did volume 12. And, you know, that was blackberries, and that's the way, it, this is almost reminiscent, but a bit more tart, and 
this is you know, I find this one to be fantastic. Oh yeah. So Marion Barry's tart, are almost like if you're tartness from like chewing on grape skins. It almost mm-hmm. comes yeah. to this a lot of tannic for sure. But, yeah, and, it's that drying mm-hmm. tannic. It, it is. Sort it of is very dry. And also with blackberries, I like it because you know some just older blackberries are just very sweet. So you still get a lot of like acidity from them, but they're very very sweet. So it just kind of like tones everything down and gives it just a slightly different complexity to it. Nice. I'd flock with it, dude. It's good beer. <laughs> I like um, the body, yeah. like it's still it. It doesn't feel thin. Yeah, yeah. It, like but, even though the effervescence is there, it doesn't feel thin. Yeah, and it, I, I find it to be very dry, but I do like that body. It just yeah. speaks again, speaks volumes on Degard's blender. You know, at night. I don't know how long Degard have been hitting the barrels. I know they have a, an astounding volume of fooders. Um, of, of mass proportion there, <laughs> at least like for <laughs> a northwestern like yeah, but, um, mass but it, it is uh, quite unique, and I love I love going out there, and I love having their beer and just being able to like assess something for what it is a northwestern, you know, American wild ale that is on caliber, if not right up there with with some of the greats out of Belgium and France, and. Fucking love their shit. I mean, that's why we're sitting on so I love, much right now. I love the color of it too. It just comes through as this really sort of like that that blood red that that even the head takes on that color too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like that really that deep. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's nice and not really acidic. I mean, I don't think we've really hit anything too chest pounding right now like e- e9 kind of was the most but even that wasn't that bad this one's just super you know crushable it was that bad because i got it the day they bottled it and opened it and it just like came out of the bottle just kind of <laughs> I was like oh stop but yeah it was super acidic the day i got it like, i still got most of my enamel so we're <laughs> <laughs> got some work your, your, your throat lining is there yeah i know that's something that a lot of uh newish Sour blenderies kind of like deal with is uh, a lot of their mother beer goes really acidic, and it's trying to like counteract that. And so, like, as somebody as someone who's also trying to start a new sour brewery, it's something that I'm highly cognizant of is trying to mitigate uh, as much of that acidity that comes yeah, through on possible. our mother sours. Yeah, I I'm sure I'm going to make tons of mistakes. And but that's how I it think, goes with sour beer. Yeah. Trying to keep it consistent, it seems like yeah. an impossible task to do, and yet you can find ways. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think what's wrong with this new approach is, like, sometimes you blend something that you don't need to sell. Sometimes you need to, like, you know, and there's a lot of hype built around this now as people are becoming... I mean, it's only within the last five years that people have been, like, freaking out over sour beer. It's been mm-hmm. here. It's not like this style... I mean, it's one of the oldest styles of beer that's been around... And here we have people just raving over these beers because it's it's new, it's it's distinct and different, and and you know at what point are people going to decide? You know, maybe this is something we don't put out right away. Maybe this is something we blend mm-hmm. down the road. You know, it, I feel like those are the those are the questions that need to be asked. Not mistakes are going to be made, and they're not mistakes. That's part of it. You know, you might have invented something totally different by challenging yourself. I was talking to uh, one of the co-owners of Jester King when I was taking a tour of their facility a couple years ago, and I asked, and and they had a pretty small barrel program at the time. I mean, we we're talking maybe like a twenty by ten cooler worth of you know uh, barrels that were sitting there, and 
And so, like, it straight up asks, like, how much of these barrels do you decide are not worthy of blending into anything else that need to be dumped? And he, without hesitation, goes, we dump about 10 to 15% of the beer that we produce. Dang. And I'm, and I'm saying, like, that's a, a huge amount of beer that you're willing to dump. Yeah, exactly. But at the same time, you're protecting your brand. You are, you know, you yeah, are... Quality. That's That's exactly a quality, and... Because I've definitely had some beers from from breweries that I enjoy, but it seems like, you know, there's, they 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 feel the beers, you know, maybe not the best, but it's like okay, we took so much time, let's just still put it out, and it's, you know, far from anything they've done, or even far from anything good, um, so I, I, even love Jester King even more for that, um, because everything I have had from them has been fantastic, and we'll have. One of their beers right here and a few more. <laughs> um, yeah, but before we get there, let's talk about some of the great things Jester King and, and Jeffrey Stubbings has been doing just for for sour beer in the Pacific Northwest. Um, one of the first projects he's kind of helped get rolled out is Wolves and People. Uh, Wolves and People is based out right outside of Portland. Where are they at exactly? Newburgh? Newburgh. Uh, yeah. Newburgh. Yeah. Newburgh. 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 Yeah, so Newburgh's kind of leaving, what, south? Southwest Portland on your way out. Southwest Portland. Portland. Something like that. Um, And this, what we've got here, is their Instinctive Travels. Um, One of their publicly available beers, I remember going and kind of like scoping them out and trying to get some, to give me some bottles. I'm like, no, these are for our members. So they they obviously started a member program to kind of get people, um, I mean, memberships are good for breweries like this where... um, Basically, you're you're looking at like trying to make your your numbers, and you've been sitting on some stuff. So it's good to have people support you. And they're not always great beers. However, um, this particular beer was something that they did roll out for everyone to have available to them. So this is um, a farmhouse saison. It's dry hopped. I'm trying to look up what hops they actually use in this beer, but I'm not seeing a whole lot of information on that particularly. Um, but yeah, this is a very effervescent, obviously bottled conditioned beer. Um, and yeah, it's, it reminds me a Explain lot of like, a lot of the dry hops. Bottle conditioning? Explaining it. All right. So <laughs> in bottle conditioning, it's, it's, you're basically allowing your beer to undergo a secondary fermentation. So you've allowed your, your main primary fermentation to take place. You've got most of your numbers where you want them to be. You've got most of the body and quality of beer where you want. Now you're looking at building effervescent, building a little bit more on the aromatics of that particular beer, maybe even building out um, with different types of cultures to develop a little bit more evolution in your beer. Um, A lot of brewers, especially back in the old days, were using bottle conditioning to basically um, allow that beer to finish out in the bottle. So thus you'd end up getting you know, the right amount of volumes of CO2, which contribute to that carbonation you're getting in your beer, um, and contribute to a little bit of maybe some dryness or a little bit of, like, that, you know, phenolic quality that you're going to be picking up in a lot of these type of beers. Um, this one, why we said obviously, and obviously you guys didn't see us pour this beer, but uh, the second we popped it, we got a great deal of head up front, uh, a lot of foam, and that's just coming from, you know, a lot of pressure buildup, a lot of that... Um, Bretonomyces, which is left in that bottle, just eating away at all those sugars that's left. And, and Brett's a really good beer at doing that. Like For a lot of people who end up putting out beers that might be a little bit on the sweeter end of things or under attenuated beer, Brett does a really good job of going in there and eating away at all those sugars. So, um, yeah, this beer, 
reminds me a lot of some Jester King beers, actually. And uh, we got Black Cat talking to you a little bit about it. So, yeah. So, this one, you pulled me... I mean, actually, we already discussed everything that's in it. We couldn't find too much as far as the hops go. Oh, we did. We got some here. Is there um, hops in the bottle? Yeah. It's... So it's it's southern and northern hemisphere hops. That's about all I can get out of it here. And they're just high alpha hops. So I'm venturing to say that I want to say there's Nelson in this. this Nelson would I want be to say there's Nelson. Primary. Nelson is really distinctive um, in the nose. However, I mean this is a speculation that I could be totally fucking wrong. Um, and then there's Britannomyces and it, you know the northern northern hemisphere hops are obviously where we are and then southern hemisphere hops for the listeners is um, hops usually now coming out of New Zealand. I, I don't know what exactly their production makeup is for the world's production of hops, but it's fucking high, and it's some really sexy hop stuff they're coming out. <laughs> um, a lot of it ends up contributing to a lot of, like, grassier notes and um, a lot of, like, maybe diesel-y or cat-pissy-type hops. We're up here in the Northwest. We contribute a lot to, like, a lot more tropical, a lot more citrusy, a lot more piney, resinous type of hops that we end up getting um, cross-strained out here. So... It's a good blend of both of those things, but it does remind me a lot of Jester King beers. I mean, Jester King's bog-conditioned beers always have a good little up-front kind of pop of fun. Oh, yeah, this yeah. is like yeah. bubble bath. Yeah. You know, I had this beer when it was young. And the Brett you had Car- this beer? I had this beer oh, when it was young, and uh, at least the maybe the first or second release, I had some regulars of mine at my bar go down and brought me back a bottle. Um, and the Brett character was leaning a lot more earthy, a lot more like sort of like uh, green, sort of like leafy. I almost got a little bit of like uh, tomato vine, really? yeah, sort of like absolutely. Brett character to it. And so now the Brett character, although it prevalent, it is not overwhelming, right. and it blends really nicely with like that hop character. It leans a little bit towards the tropical fruit. I get. Almost a little bit of mango or papaya or something like that. Like, like Brett, Brett and melon is is the main highlights of this beer for me. Yeah, like just Brett and like really just bright melon. Yeah, and the dryness is different than like even like you know because ghosts like I I think that here we are we're going back and forth between sour saisons mm. and it's like this particular beer has and it's something that maybe someone else can help with and it's something I've always brought up in kind of tasting these kind of beers is like. I don't want to say it's like soapy, but it has that kind of like really it's it's almost so neutral to a point where like the beer has this like really it's so dry and it, it's I mean I, the only way I can describe it is soapy, but not soapy in like yeah. a like well, a cleaning or like sanitary way, but soapy in like you know you, you've you've had a little bit of that I don't know yeah I don't know how to really yeah. describe it, but like I feel the same way. So for me, it's it's dry, but I don't I don't feel there's any effervescence. So it's just. I mean, the neutrality thing you were talking about, I can totally see it because it's really dry, but there's no effervescence. So it's just like a really almost creamy, like bubbly mouthfeel without any effervescence. They say in the bottle, pillowy mouthfeel. Pillowy is pillowy. I love that adjective. Pillowy is very, very accurate (laughs) for this beer. Pillowy is a new term I will be using. I'm going to have to write that down and and like pin it to my t-shirt so I can remember to use it. Um... Yeah, I think I think I guess pillowy works better than creamy, you know, because it's not really creamy as far as like, you know, aromatics. It's just creamy mouthfeel, almost like silky without, you know. Yeah, people tie that a lot to like a lactose mm-hmm. sort of flavor, and it's not that. So pillowy works best for this. Yeah. 
I need yeah. to I need to like build myself a deck of flashcards of those sort of adjectives that like the you know there's those intangibles yeah you know those intangibles that I encounter there's just like I don't know a better word for it but I'm gonna use this you know like but yeah it's a good beer a flavor wheel <clears throat> got a little uh, sediment in the bottom there yeah it's I don't know they they, they probably use a good amount of this is not related. This is not related to anything that we're drinking, but at my bar, we were. Uh, I was doing bottle pours of a collaboration between a winery, Fest Parker Winery, and Brewery Tarot. Mm-hmm. They did a collaboration called um, Confession, and so they used used Riesling grapes. And so I finished off the bottle pour, and there was a little bit of dregs left, and so I poured it into a glass just to see what the yeast tastes like just to see what it looks like. And I shit you not, I got like maybe somewhere between tw- 10 and 12 grape seeds Oh wow! that were in the bottle itself That's from nice. the Riesling grapes. And I was like, I'm not even mad. That's super impressive. Like I was showing other people in my bar going, look at that. Those are grape seeds in the bottle itself no from shit, the man. Riesling grapes. Yeah. Yeah, I can think of a few beer snobs that would have lost their shit over that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, that's just it. That's what's exciting about all these beers. And we're getting even, we're going to throw ourselves even further into the sour realm here. But um, we're we're in the United States, dude. We're doing things differently. I mean, there's, there's no right or wrong, I think, with a lot of what's going on here. But there is a lot of right or wrong with a lot of the way you want. Like you said, we talked on pack, we talking on packaging. We're talking on... Uh, presentation is a good part of it, but also just caring about your blending and seeing where things are going to be going um, as an end product in your beer. And with these kind of experimental, like really magical beers, as I like to describe them, because there's a lot of magic involved in this, um, it's kind of hard to kind of speculate to see what you're going to end up having. And there's people out there who are like, well, fuck that, that's not beer. It's you, It never tastes the same. It's inconsistent, it's this and that, but... It's still exciting to drink. It's still it's it's still got you know everything that beer should have, and it's you know throwing it back really hard to where we started um, as brewers fucking centuries ago. And I think it's good that we we kind of touch back. We're we're a very young country, a young nation, a young continent in terms of beer and and where we're gonna go. And it's fun to see the world looking at us kind of as pushing the envelope. I think it's important to look at the intentionality of it. I think, you know, when you're talking about your presentation of your beer, it's like if we're talking about um, what a beer is supposed to look like in the glass versus, like, uh, you know, the other beers that have come before it, if you're talking about comparing it to a Belgian beer or whatever, like, we, we have to be cognizant of the fact that we are kind of starting our own thing, especially now as young brewers, as somebody who are like starting our own thing, you know, we can't be confined to whatever standards that, uh, that new Belgium had set for us or, you know, that even, even Jester King for, for like lack of a better example, because, you know, they are some of those brewers that are kind of setting the standard for certain things, you know, like, I know uh, Jeff Stuffings was kind of a big proponent of the designation of a method guise that, you know, it was, it was that label that he wanted to start of like, you can't call 
a beer that wasn't made in the Sen Valley Alambic. Or a Guza or Alambic. And yet, so he wanted to go like, they we're doing the same thing as what they're doing in the Sen Valley. But we realized that we can't call it that. Just like you can't call, you know, a, a bubbly wine that wasn't made in the champ, you know, Champagne region of France. And so even though we're doing the same thing, we are kind of creating our own traditions. And so it's important to keep that in mind when we're creating something. Because if it's still, people are going to shit on it. They're going to go, well, it's not bubbly enough. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you get an unblended Lambic, it's going to be still. Maybe you were intending for that. So that intentionality is important for us to keep in consideration when we're in the process of creating these sort of beers. Yeah, it's funny that uh, a lawyer out of Texas would, would come up with such prolific you know, ideas. <laughs> I also love the whole method goose, um, you know, because, again, you can't just call it a goose. So basically a goose, goose style, the method of a goose, uh, you know, kind of like how when American brewers do like uh, Oktoberfest style beers, you know, they just... Style, just to let you know what the style is, but Method Goose um, just kind of keeps it a lot more traditional sounding as well. Yeah, and you're beer. keeping it with, within certain confines and guidelines, which is what we're all trying to do as brewers at the end of the day in some level, which is great. So, Boy Scout, we got that gesture, King? Yeah. So, this is called Beer de Blanc du. Boo? Dubois. 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 I want to see that bottle. I want to see that bottle. Somebody pass it over to me. There you are. I know it's my French. It's American Wild Ale at 6.7%. Um, it was brewed with Hill Country well water, uh, fermented with our unique mixed culture of microorganisms, farmhouse yeasts, naturally occurring wild yeasts, Harvested in the land of the Texas Hill Country, and native souring bacteria. Um, it matured in oak barrels and was re-fermented with Texas-grown um, Blanc du Bois grapes. And Blanc du Bois. There we go, Blanc du Bois, <laughs> as they say in Texas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, it smells a little bit sort of like baby farts and vomit. <laughs> baby farts and vomit. Some would not argue with you. I'm getting a little bit of apricot myself. <laughs> it's not as offensive as he would have it sound. I think it's it, def- it definitely smells bile. But no, you definitely, I, yeah. Bile or white grape sweetness? Because Bile. I'm getting a lot of white grape well, sweetness. More baby yeah. fart. It, it's like <laughs> baby fart. Actually, more oaky afterbirth to it. But no, like if oaky you were if you were gonna get like some like almost Holy like shit. Boy Scout invented that one. Yeah, I would fucking love that. That's the name that of my new punk cars. rock band. Yeah. Oaky <laughs> afterbirth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. That's fucking good. I like that. Well, yeah, it's the like product if you, of a dendrophilia. If you almost have some like ethanol like white wine, I feel like that's what the source. I get I get like I get like no ethanol. Like I said, I just get like pure like. Grape sweetness, like pure white grape sweetness, like a Riesling almost. Yeah, mm. I definitely get the Riesling uh, updates. There is a little bit of that bile thing. I know you're, you're picking up on Boy Scout. 
But I can't help but get apricots on this. I oh, can't help but feel like I'm sitting yeah. on a summer day. There's a lot of apricots Eating in this. some prunes with my grandfather and throwing in and throwing back I, a couple of those dry apricots. Oh, right. If it if it is bile, it's like uh, you know, a somewhat pleasant bile. Oh no, it's totally worth it. As opposed <laughs> as opposed to the bile that you get as like somebody puts on a keg of hazy IPA and they accidentally kick it and then you get all that like turbid, like lupulin like shit. Oh, that's gross. No, that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I've had that a couple of times. Okie okay, afterbirth. We're, that's like okay, afterbirth. That's so good. We're no longer brew coven. We're okie okay afterbirth. <laughs> <laughs> you can change it. <laughs> no, I, I you know, I'm not a particular. I'm not a fan of any beer, especially sours or grapes. I just I seek to smell because I mean I love Jester King. Where you know where some of us are Texans here, so we love you know Jester King for on multiple levels. And I seek this out because I was like, oh, another, you know, I've tried some from Side Project and all sorts of, you know, all over the place. And they're all great. It's just, I, I, I just cannot jump on the grape train. I'm not sure why I don't like yeah. the grape. It's still fantastic. And this one's a lot sweeter than the other ones I have. There's almost like no, tar- to me, there's no tartness. I just get all that like really white, you know, white grape. Well, I think it. sometimes if if it's not done well with the grapes, like the tannins almost turn medicinal. Like it gets this really right. weird oh, taste. Band-Aid, to it. you get a lot of that Band-Aid. Yeah, yeah. Grapes, it just grapes, totally makes it, ugh. Grapes, you'll, you'll definitely get some of that phenolic character where it's just yeah, like rubber rubber garden hoses and Band-Aids all day. How all old night. is yeah. this? It, this one's, I think, a 2016. Okay. So it's a my year. favorite beer we've had tonight so far. This is, yeah. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. It's just almost grapes. I, you know, I, I, I want to try everything grape. You know, even we did uh, one of our first podcasts. We did friendship on grapes from E nine and and a fantastic beer. It's just I, I got to get used to it. You know, as much yeah. as I love grapes, I mean, goddamn, I yeah. As a brewer, I've worked for four different breweries, and half of them, no, three quarters of them. I'm sorry, have we've we've done some pretty prolific stuff with grapes. I like to think, and I don't know. I I love it. I I think there's a lot to be said about beer and wine and the blending of the two worlds. Um, especially when it comes to these kind of beers. Um, RJ's probably going to do a fucking grape sour down the road, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's I don't know, it's unique, it's forward-thinking, it's that gap bridger between the wine-drinking people that are sophisticated. and De- Definitely, I think any wine-drinkers can world. definitely get down with this. Mike, do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, probably my favorite of the night. Um, I'm a big fan of you know, wine or grape or any kind of any beer, um, even in IPAs, I liked it. Um, so, I mean, I haven't had much from Jester King, so this is probably my third bottle from them. But I gotta say, this is probably one of the better ones I've had from them, and definitely my favorite of the night. Better in what context? Like, what do you think? Like, do you think it's just like a just better a, finish out beer? Just a better. Think? I just overall, I mean, it's just got a better finish to it. It's got more flavor. I like that sweetness. I'm a big fan of the sweetness on. On any beer, and um, yeah, it's got a nice grape nose to it. So, cool. I'm always scared of the word sweet, personally, because yeah. it's a scary kind of. It, it can be in this case. Attenuated, what is it? But, but I think I, I get what you're saying. It is like you're getting the fruitiness of it. Is coming yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, and, and, that, and that's why it's not like like sugary sweet. I mean, it's just anyone's that ha- that has had you know any kind of white grapes, especially you don't want to say like when they're really squishy. It's just like there's a lot of sweetness to it. The same with like any fruit, you know, you get an older, you know, apricot that's bruised up, you're gonna get a lot of that sweetness to it, and that's that's what I, I that's what I'm picking up here, and I think it fits really well with this beer. So. I'd agree. You know, as as somebody who's a brewer, I I find these sort of beers really exciting because I realize how little 
I know about the wine world and about all the varietals of wine and to realize how much of that knowledge and flavor compounds and all of that I can bring into brewing. Like to, to taste this intersection from a brewery as prolific as Chester King, it, it does nothing but reignite my love of brewing because there's so much more to be explored. Oh, yeah. I've thought plenty of times I should go to wine school. I should I should intern for a vinter. I should do this. I mean, it's I think it's exceptional. There's a lot of things, even in California, breweries. I mean... Matt Fritz being one of the greater ones. I mean, we have a brewery we brewed for Anderson Valley for years, but it was also a vinter, and when he ferments all his beers out in wine barrels and uses well-sourced water and is a big proponent of believing that there is truly terroir in beer, which is a debatable topic, apparently. Um, <laughs> so, I don't know. It's, it's like there's these are things that freaking knock my socks off, I think. When I drink a beer like this, I, I learn something with every sip. Not only as a consumer, but as a brewer, as a just what, how far can we push the limitations of beer? Yeah, I'm doing it. It's really cool. Cool. I think uh, this winds up sour night. At least the, the sour night, night one, night one. Yeah. So we'll we'll be doing this one again. We'll definitely be seeing RJ back on the scene for sure. And thanks again so much. Thanks for coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. thanks yeah. for having me, you guys. Yeah, I really man, appreciate thanks, it. Thanks for being a part of it tonight. I uh, I only have one more question for everybody here. Is like who has tums? We all, have okay, we, we all have tums. Okay, we all have tums. Okay, good. Like the last podcast, so we carry tums now and Pedialyte. Uh, tums, tums associates or owners, if you're hearing this, um, Brew Coven. Yeah, is well, you guys for need to sponsor. Yeah, um, Tums needs to sponsor Brew Coven. Yeah, we eat those often. Yeah, I'm sure uh, we go through. We could probably even reach out to the Brewing Network Sour Hour, and, and I'm sure they could also take a, a full truckload of tums. Well. Oh, yeah, full, full truckload over here. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, yeah, if you guys have any questions for RJ or, or about Northish's future and what they've got coming up, oh, feel yeah. free to... We'll, we'll tag Northish on, on the next uh, Brew Coven post yeah. as well. I just want to give my own plug and just say if you guys uh, want to find out what we're doing, I'm terrible at Facebook, but I'm okay at Instagram, so you can hit us up at Northish Beer on Instagram. I try and respond pretty quickly to any comments there. Uh, and we're going to be hitting the Tacoma, Washington market here soon within the next couple months. So Awesome. Great. No dick pics. We all look forward to it. <laughs> no dick pics. RJ is a handsome young uh, man. I didn't, I didn't say um, no dick pics. Um, all right. Dick pics are welcome. And again, They're encouraged. Uh, they are encouraged. Drew Coven's always yeah. welcome to having you guys send your beer our way. You want us to rip it in your ass. We're always down. Um, and we're also down to give many, many praises. We appreciate our listeners, and thanks for listening to Brew Coven. <laughs>